I'm so glad that you're here. I'm glad that these two are here with me. This is Garrett and Katie Henderson. Most of you all know Garrett and Katie. Um, I go back a long ways with these two. Uh, when I came here as the youth minister in 2001, uh, Garrett was a sixth grader. And Katie was not even here yet. He, her family had not come to, to be a part of our church. But um, I have literally gotten to see these two um, grow up uh, all through the student ministry here. Uh, watched them uh, go through a lot of... In the, I, I've literally seen their, their relationship with each other from the very beginning. From those little sparks in youth group to the two of them uh, talking, hanging out and and starting to date and go through various ups and downs. And I've counseled with both of them as a youth pastor trying to help them as teenagers figure out how to, uh, how to have a relationship with each other. And, and I have just literally watched them grow up, um, got to be a part of your wedding, just so much. These two are real special to me. And I'm, um, I'm really glad that they're here and are going to share this morning. I always like to start these with a, a passage of scripture that I feel like is just, just really communicates the theme of the story um, that we're talking about. And, um, and this morning I, I just thought of um, Psalm 34 and there's several verses in Psalm 34 that just really echo uh, Garrett and Katie's story. And, um, and it says, I sought the Lord and he answered me and rescued me from all my fears those who look to him are radiant with joy, and their faces will never be ashamed. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry for help. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. And I feel like, Garrett, you're, I feel like, I know, I know, bro. I, I feel like your story is so much, is a story of, of restoration and it's a story of deliverance. And we've been singing about that all morning long. Um, and I know for you, um, I mean, you've grown up in this community in, in a pretty public role. I mean, um, your granddad and your dad have established and built a business that is a staple in this community. Um, the, 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 the just little free plug, I get nothing for the best funeral home ever. Uh, nobody does it better than the Hendersons. Um, but uh, being a part of that, watching your granddad and then your dad carry on the, and, then, and then you like part of the third generation uh, to carry on that thing. And, and Wes is here. I'm so glad. Like you guys just carrying that on. It's a beautiful thing. But I know people know who you are because of, and they always have. And, and, when, and, and not just that, but in serving in church, I mean, you've, uh, God gifted you with musical talent and ability that you've faithfully tried to use for him and in our church and other churches. And so, um, I mean, people know who you are. And it, sometimes when you're in a position like that, it can be really difficult um, when you're struggling with things, um, sin that you feel like, well, I have to kind of cover this up. I can't let people see because uh, what, what would it do? There's a reputation that you feel a pressure to kind of uphold. Um, and, and I mean, even people like me, pastors and everybody, they struggle with that kind of thing. And so um, 
we, we heard from Jeff and Susan Colbreth the very first week we did this, and, and Jeff and Susan talked about their struggle with their two boys um, with uh, drug addiction. And, and we kind of heard what it was like for them uh, going through that. And Garrett, your struggle wasn't with drugs. It's never been that. That's never been your thing. Um, but alcohol was a thing for you for a long time. And, um, and, it, and it got to a, a, a breaking point um, where, where the Lord just really showed his faithfulness. And, and I know that's the story that you want to share. And so I want to let you just from the very beginning... Um, Start with, you know, how did your relationship with alcohol turn into what it turned into? Yeah. How did that begin? Absolutely. Well, I mean, as, as Eric already said, you know, growing up in the part of the Henderson family is, is we do have a ministry, and Eric knows about ministry. Our ministry is serving people when they've lost somebody. And, and so our, all of our focus and all of our attention goes on to the, that family, trying to take care of them. And so you really put your needs second. Um, it's all about serving that family. If you have a rough day, you don't let that family see it. Uh, it's all focused on that. So it does create a more of a challenge when you are struggling with something. You have to just shove it down deep inside and, and hide it. And, you know, like Eric said, is I'm pretty sure, I'll double check with Mama, um, but when I was born, we came here. Is that correct? Yes. I've been here. I was here my whole life until about 21 or 22. Um, grew up here. Grew up as the typical youth kid, you know, here on Sunday morning, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights. Knew, knew the church, knew the Lord. As a, at a young age, my brother had gotten saved, and I, I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps because I saw him up in the baptistry pool, and I was like, yeah, I guess I should do that too. I saw some other people. So I, I did it at a young age, but really my, my salvation came in eighth grade. I, I remember it very vividly, my, my true salvation date. I remember a Saturday night I'd had a, a dream that, someone, that Dad had asked me to share my testimony, and I couldn't. I didn't know. So I, I've never questioned my salvation. Um, I know I've always been saved. I just I, I strayed extremely far um, from the Lord's will. Um, it rocked on. I, you know, I joined choir 14 or 15 here. I was the youngest kid up there. Um, loved singing in choir, but it, it rocked on into high school age. You know, I, I hung out with some friends where I guess you're what people would call your typical high schoolers. We would try to sneak alcohol whenever we could. Um, from various parents or try to sneak out to parties. Uh, and, and that was just kind of, you know, that's, that's what I thought was the norm. I thought that was okay. I, I thought it was okay if I, as long as I came back to church, you know, I knew who my Savior was. I thought it was okay to, to uh, experiment with that kind of thing. Um, well, then I, I graduated, went off to college my first semester. Like, like Eric said, I, I saw this beautiful girl on the back of a SunPower bus um, when I was 14 and she was 12, so it was a little different back then. Um, and yeah, <laughs> and we, uh, we talked a good bit. You know, I was the, the jerk high school kid who had to have a girlfriend at my school too. So it, <laughs> we, uh, we'd split up. And my, my senior year, uh, after I graduated, I went off to sing at the University of Alabama. And, and when I was down there, my, my goal was really to, to live it up. Um, that first semester, I didn't find a church. I'd come back here and sing some, um, but I didn't find a church, and, and really my last thought was was really God's will for my life. Um, that was the last thing on my mind, and there were, there were a few instances, red flags, even in that first semester of college, uh, that showed I had an issue with alcohol, um, um, the issue uh, controlling myself. I, I, I could not. Um, some people can, and that's what we're, we're going to, I was going to say later, but my issue is not with having a drink. It's the fact that if I want one, I'm going to have a thousand. 
One is too many and a thousand is not enough for me. And that's how it is for an addict. Um, but about the Christmas, Christmas of my freshman year at Alabama, my grandfather passed. Um, the patriarch of the funeral home and uh, clear as day I was heading back to uh, Alabama uh, for spring semester. And I was listening to When I Get Where I'm Going by Brad Paisley. And it talked about walking with granddaddy. And I listened to that song 30 times. And I'm just boo-hooing. And I heard the Lord's voice clear as day that I should come back here uh, join the family ministry. And so after that, I did. Came back. Katie and I started dating that, that uh, um, Christmas. So that didn't hurt that I was coming back to get closer to the girlfriend. Um, came back and went to Shorter. Uh, we dated. And, you know, when I turned 21, it was, it was just kind of a kind of a different different turn. At that point, I was legal. Alcohol is everywhere. It is probably the easiest substance to get a hold of. Um, it's in every place you walk into, every convenience store you pass by, it's everywhere. And they market it like nobody's business. Um, I learned that when I got back is there's commercials on all the time for it. Um, but I, I rocked on and when I got, I guess when I turned 21, I, I thought it was going to be pretty standard that I was going to keep beer um, wherever I was living. I could have a beer a night, you know, whatever, as long as I wasn't drinking too much. Um, Katie and I got married August 3rd of 2013 and uh, moved into our house in our Murchie and, and it was pretty standard for me to have a couple drinks or a drink a night um, and, and that kind of escalated. Um, you know with our own house we were the oldest and only married couple in our friend group so our house was kind of kind of party central um, and we would have get-togethers um, and that's really when my troubles started showing their true face. Um, didn't know if this is this is where Katie yeah. jumped in. This is where it really started. Because he won't to... remember a lot of it. <laughs> but um, I mean, we were young. We were college age. Our friends were in college. So what is there to do in a small town but party at your house? The only one with a house. So we would, and um, it was fun. And then um, and then it wasn't. And it got to where you didn't know if it was going to be fun anymore. And um, every time was a gamble. It was, are we going to get fun, Garrett? Or are we going to get the um, belligerent? Um, blackout Garrett and there's been several times where Garrett has had to wake up the next morning and apologize to everybody in the house or at the lake for things that he the way he acted the things that he did the night before um, and that was hard and um, so then once we kind of realized okay well there's clearly an issue here with is the consumption of it we thought well we'll just we'll just quit it's fine it's not a big deal so at this point we think well, Garrett has stopped drinking, or I think that Garrett has stopped drinking. I didn't, by the way. Um, I did not stop drinking, and that's when it, it really took a turn even worse um, because secrets and things you do in secret come to public in a very ugly way. Um, and I hid for quite a while. Next, I, I went into Mortuary College. First service kind of got a kick out of this. I hung with some bad people when I first went to Mortuary College, which is kind of funny. Yeah, um, we don't, nobody expects the Mortuary College yes, crew to be the wild, to be the wild crew. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, so stay um, away from those Mortuary people. Yeah. They will get you in trouble. Uh, but They're I, wild bunch. But I hung out with some, with some folks that as a way to calm down between exams, we'd go get at the gas station and get two 40-ounce beers and have that between exams because, you know, Recall when you're on alcohol is so much better. Um, but that was a way we justified, you know, and this is all about, I always justified a way to drink. I found a way to justify it. And that was my way of justifying it down there. And the, and the ugly part is, is after exams, after I'd already had two or three 40-ounce beers, I'd probably grab a six-pack on the way home from Birmingham. 
um, get home, wouldn't drink with Katie um, because she thought I'd quit. Um, and so there were many nights, and, and like I said I, earlier, it just it escalated. And this, my story is not of a tragic event. You know, when I went to rehab, there's people with tragic events. My story is a culmination of really how the devil can work in little aspects all throughout your life to lead to one big problem. And uh, it got to where I was drinking about 16, 16 ounce beers a day. That's two gallons of beer a day. And that was, uh, that was average. There were many times I drank more. Um, I almost forgot the story the first time, but I remember Katie and I were talking too. I remember I used to tell Katie that I was working out at the North Chapel because <laughs> I had done insanity one time there. So I told her I was working out, and the whole time I was drinking, I would stop and wet myself with water to make it look like I was sweating um, when I'd just been drinking the whole time. But I got stopped at a roadblock, and I was scared to death because I was drunk. And they knew who I was. And they let me go. And I thought that was the biggest blessing. Thought that was my key to stop. It stopped for two days. And then because I'd quit for two days, I justified, oh, I, I deserve a beer um, because I need it. Um, it it uh, rocked on to where I would, uh, I keep saying rocked on, sorry. Um, yeah, rock on. Um, there was a point to where I would drink so much, I would make myself throw up outside the window of my truck as I was driving so I could finish my beer that I had um, because I didn't want to waste a beer. Um, so I'd make myself throw up. I would, I would probably start about noon every day drinking. Um, I would switch up gas stations. I had, a, I had a route that I took because I didn't want to buy too many from one gas station so the cashiers wouldn't think I was an alcoholic. That makes sense. So I didn't want them to think about it. I just knew the problems I had within myself. Um, and I was miserable. I was in a dark hole that I didn't think I could get out of. I tried to do it myself, and I couldn't. And I was miserable. There were times that I would drive without a seatbelt drunk. And I never had the, you know, I never did anything, obviously. But I was like, Lord, if it's your will, just take me now. And that was the deepest, darkest place that I'd ever been. And there are so many fights that were caused because I was drunk and belligerent. I don't remember all of uh, many of them. I don't. There was holes in the wall. Um, I threw a safe through uh, one of our mirrors one time. Um, multiple occasions, and Katie will allude to another one, my mother got called. And being a mama's boy, that was, that was rough. Having to realize the next day that I was so belligerent towards my wife that she had to call my mom to calm us down. Multiple times. Multiple times. And I just, I, did, I didn't think there was a way I could get out. And uh, February 26, 2019, um, was a Tuesday. And uh, been drinking all day. Of course, I got home. And uh, Katie and Francis Warner were at the house. And they were going to go to Josh's um, soccer game. Her brother Josh's soccer game. But I was too tired to go to the soccer game. So they left, and I wasn't too tired to go to Publix to get some ice cream. And I went, and that's what my world revolved around, was alcohol. Uh, I thought constantly thought about when my next drink would come to ease the hangover of the day before. I would keep two beers under my back seat. And no matter what temperature they were, and in the summer it wasn't too pleasant, but um, no matter how, um, how, what temperature they were, I would drink those two beers on the way to work just to ease off my hangover. Um, in February 26, um, 
2019. I went to the store, drank a lot, and I honestly do not even remember getting home that night that I was driving. And uh, then Katie and Francis showed up. and. Well, at this point, you know, I'm not thinking he's drinking, okay? Because I've been in love with him since I was 12. Anything he tells me, yes, I believe you. I trust you. Yes, it's gold, you know. And so there was times where, you know, he's coming home late and he says he's working out, but he's just, I could tell his body's not healthy. Um, his face would be really red. His eyes would be red. You know, he's falling asleep at seven o'clock at night. We can't make it, you know, 10 minutes into a show without him falling asleep. And I'm like, oh, well, you know, it must be something medically wrong that is causing him to be so tired. And then the nights where he would be clearly inebriated, he was really good at hiding it. And I don't think people understand that, especially when you do trust somebody so much. Like, I never saw the alcohol. I never smelled the alcohol. It was, you know, my mind would go to something else. Oh, he's, um, when he was not acting in his mind, I would say, oh, well, he must have taken so many weight loss pills. And that is why he's acting this way, you know, trying to rationalize it in my mind. And so when me and Francis came home that night, he wasn't there. And um, finally he shows up and he walks through the door and I think we could both see the look on his face that he didn't look right. He was so swollen, he was red, his eyes were bloodshot. He was, couldn't even form a sentence. And I just looked at her and I was like, you need to go. Cause I knew, I knew this was, this was gonna be a bad night. I just knew and, um, and it was, it was a really bad night. Um, because he would deny and deny and I would push and push because I knew that there was something going on. Things escalated and we probably shoved a lot more than we should have. And when we would get into bad fights, his first thing was to leave. And I knew something was really bad wrong and that I just knew if I, if I let him leave, he's, he's gonna kill somebody or he's gonna kill himself. And um, this is so embarrassing, but um, I got, a gun and I pointed it at his legs and I said if you don't sit down and if you move and go out the door I'm gonna have to shoot you because you're gonna kill somebody I'm like how's that what would you do with yourself if you did and um and I called his mom and I said come get him I'm done I'm done come get him and um Nancy came because she always came I don't know what I would do without her and um He's sitting there and he looks horrible. And she looked at him and she said, what are you taking? I know you're taking something. And finally, he finally spoke. He hadn't said anything in probably 30 minutes. And he said, I have a drinking problem. And that was the first time he probably ever admitted it to anybody, including himself. And um, so Nancy took him that night. Of course, obviously, none of that situation is good, but that saying that I do remember coming to right before mama got there and and when I said that I had a drinking problem even though it was an awful situation a huge weight was lifted off of me and I just I felt peace I wasn't in a good situation but I felt peace and uh, mama took me we went back to the house I had to go stay in the house that I the broom that I grew up in that was pretty embarrassing I'm married with a house and got to go back to mama's house to sleep but on the way back, um, we just got on the phone because we knew I had to go somewhere um, the next day. I had to. I couldn't, I couldn't stay there, and I couldn't recover if I stayed there. I couldn't do it on my own. I couldn't do something in Rome. I had to get out of there. So we looked, and the place we found was in Texas. So we, uh, I think we called a hotline. 
uh, a rehab addiction hotline and um, got me a plane flight, was going to go to Texas the next day. Went home, and of course, because of all I drank, I slept like a baby, I'm not going to lie. I did sleep, and then the next morning woke up, and Mom and I went into work. Um, she had to do a few things, and of course, we lived right across from the funeral home at the time, and I had to pack up my bags. But on the way in, um, Mama had known this therapy uh, therapist um, named Connie and called, and uh, Connie actually recommended a place in Decula, Georgia, outside Lawrenceville, um, called Good Landing Recovery. Um, Obviously a lot closer than Texas, and at that point, honestly, I didn't, I didn't know uh, if I was going to have a wife when I got back. Wasn't sure, because I knew how bad I betrayed her, and I, I wouldn't have blamed her after I put her through all this. Um, didn't know if I was going to have a wife, but knew if there was any chance, it was going to be a lot better trying to work on it from Decula than Texas, so we, we did a little dig, and we called the place in Texas that day, and and they tried to entice us with zip lining and all this other stuff that I'm like, I don't, I don't care about that. You know, I, I need to get better. And, uh, and then we asked about the religious aspect, and she said, oh, well, we're tolerant of all religions or all gods. And I, I, I was pretty hungover, and I said, well, there's only one god, so uh, we'll just leave it at that fact. Then we called Trey Lewis, and Trey uh, was in the Air Force. Uh, the reason he started this is he was in the Air Force and uh, became addicted to uh, meth, I believe, and uh, he had went to nine different rehabs and relapsed every single time. Um, and then he realized that he needed to add God into it. And so it's the 10th time he going, he went to a Christian rehab, and he's been sober ever since for like 20-something years now. And he is an amazing man of God. Um, and he created this place in Decula called Good Landing Recovery. So that was it, you know. I was like, no, we're, we're going there. He didn't try to entice me with anything, ask me if they kind of had a gym. I knew I was big you know the funny thing is is in my addiction it's a it's a never-ending cycle um, I had early on being diagnosed with anxiety was a little factor and you know my Christian self was like well I should just be able to let God handle it instead of take some medicine you know it was that struggle that Christian struggle of taking medication or just giving it all to all to God well then I would drink because I wasn't happy with my weight drinking just makes your weight worse so I would drink to numb those pains it was a an endless loop that I just kept getting stuck in. Um, but after talking with Trey, I knew I wanted to get a little better in shape. So that was the plan. And me and mom went back. Uh, she went over to do some stuff I was packing up, and I knew I needed cigarettes. Because at the time, I was smoking pretty heavily. And uh, I told mom that, and I was like, well, I'm just going to go down and get my cigarettes, and I'll have one more beer. I'll just have one, you know. It was the final send-off. And I was walking towards the door, and I was in that house, and there was stuff from Katie all around, and I was like, I couldn't live on myself if I drank one more beer. So I didn't, and praise the Lord, I made Mama take me to get my cigarettes, which I know no mother wants to take her son to get cigarettes, but she did. She was a trooper. We left, and it was, it was ordained by God, everything. They had a spot at Good Landing. The place, we didn't go to um, the place in Texas I didn't go to. You know, we got a full refund on our plane ticket because it was in 24 hours. That's no small amount of change so that was a huge factor too it was a full refund the whole way down there there were literal billboards signs that says Jesus is the answer Jesus Jesus and you know at the time I was like well I know he's the answer but I don't want to see it right now and I told Trey about that and he goes this must be new I said well yep God's given me his signs for sure um, but when I got down there I was in a very bad place I uh, didn't know the state of my marriage didn't know the state of really my family's you know legacy 
like I said, with us ministering to people, you don't let your, your problems be known. And so I didn't know if I was going to embarrass the family. I, I was ashamed of a lot. Um, and one of the first few nights in there, I learned that without God, I can't. And without me, he won't. So until you fully submit to God, he's not going to make a, a change in your life. You have to give it all to him uh, and be willing to completely change your life. And at that point, you know, it was just, I was all in. Uh, I was scared to death. I didn't get to talk to Katie for like a week. And then? We, we were doing fertility treatments. And um, the day after he left, I had to go into the doctor where we were going to get an injection so we could have a baby after not being able to have a baby for a year. And I had to say, well, there's no point in doing this. My husband's in rehab, and I don't really know if I'm even going to be with him anymore after this. So um, it was really hard. It was really hard being alone for the first time. In 25 years, I went from living with three little brothers straight to living with Garrett and Wes for three months, and then just Garrett. So, you know, all of a sudden I found myself alone, completely alone, in a house with no baby and no husband. And, um, and it was hard. It was hard. I'm thinking, you know, we shared in the last service, you know, we, we're not going to, I'm, I'm always going to try to tell you the truth when it comes to what God's word says. And people will sometimes ask questions when it comes to this topic. So is, is there anything in the Bible, that, like does the Bible prohibit the use of alcohol completely? And I, I'll have to tell you, no, it, it doesn't. Like if you're, if you're looking for a passage or a verse that, that, that says, um, total abstinence, like to, to be a believer, you have to do that. It's not there. But I will tell you this, that in every place that scripture talks about alcohol, it talks about it in a, in a negative, like in a, with a warning because it's, because it's powerful and it's strong. And, um, in Proverbs, in Proverbs 23, um, these verses, um, are common but they talk about it. And when I hear you, Garrett, talk about your experience, it's like these, the way Proverbs describes the power of alcohol over a person, it, it just kind of comes to life. Verse 31 says, do not look at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup and goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart utter perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea, like one who lies on the top of a mast. They struck me, you will say, but I was not hurt. They beat me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake? I must have another drink. And that's kind of what you described, is that being captured by it so much that for a while, your pattern was the, what was in the front of your mind all the time is, When's my next chance? When's my next opportunity that I can sneak away? For and two and a half, three years, that's what my world revolved around, was alcohol, when I was going to be able to get my next drink. Um, that's what it was. And, and you know, the, I deal with a lot of shame and guilt still. Um, I know the guilt, we learn guilt is a good thing. It keeps you from making those same mistakes, but shame can bring you down. It's the devil's tool to keep you down. And, and to not let you really flourish for God. I still deal with a lot of shame, I'm not going to lie. Um, because I, I was at the, at the 
time when all this was going down, I was, had the opportunity to lead worship at another church. And I was leading worship, and my way of justification, I'd get so nervous, and I still get nervous every time I sing, because um, I want to sing for God and want to do it right. But my, I used to drink before I'd lead worship. Go into God's house to lead worship, that's something I struggle with still. Um, and I would justify it that I need to calm down so I don't look nervous up there. Um, and it's just, it's, it was, like I said, an endless cycle uh, that I could not get out of um, without having to go away. But, but Jesus. But Jesus. <laughs> that is it. That is um, it. You know, that's going into to my life now, like... When I was in rehab, all I met some great people. With Trey, uh, Trey uh, Tim Riles was my house manager, you know, and they know how much I wanted to be a dad. That was like tops for me. I had the most beautiful wife in the world, and I wanted a kid. Um, and that was our prayer. And after a year, and praise the Lord, he knows what he's doing. He does. His timeline's better than ours um, because he knew we were not fit to raise a child for what we were going through. And it wasn't until we could get ourselves right that he blessed us. When I came back from my 90-day treatment, that weekend was when Ruby was conceived. And now I have another daughter on the way as well. <laughs> and it's Amen. the greatest blessing that I could have. <laughs> so now God has just given me new purpose. It's, it's, not, it's about the kingdom. Everything, every decision I try to make during the day is about furthering God's kingdom, being a witness to people, being a Christian husband, being a Christian man. It's, it's about leading my, my family in the way of God and raising my daughters to know what a Christian husband and father is supposed to look like. He has just given me so much purpose, and the blessings just, when you follow God's way, I don't know how to describe it. I'm starting to ramble now. Um, when you follow God's plans, the blessings just flow. If you follow his will, and if you, that's what your life revolves around, you'll be blessed beyond measure. I can promise you that. Mm -hmm. And Katie, you, you learned some things too along the way. Because it, it, it wasn't just like we said. It's not just Garrett, but it was, yeah. I mean, you, you learned some things. I had to learn things. how to be alone for the first time ever. Mm -hmm. I've never slept in a house alone before, you know, other than when parents would go off. But, yeah, um... One of the things that I told the first service, um, the biggest blessing I had through all of this was here, the, these four walls right here. Um, obviously, I had my friends, really close friends, family members, but um, when this happened, I didn't know what to do. I went to a church where I didn't know anybody. <laughs> it was a huge church, and I didn't know a single person that I could confide in or talk to. And so I came back home, and... Uh, my advice to you parents out there, bring, bring your kids to church. Raise them in church because they're going to mess up. People around them are going to mess up, and they need, they need a family to fall to. Um, when I came here, I was embarrassed because I had to come alone. Um, but I knew eventually something in me just knew you need to be here because this church knows your heart. They've watched you grow up. They know Garrett's heart. They love him. They've seen him grow up. And God gave me a big, beautiful present with a bow on it and blessed me with um, the Colbreths. I came here, and that first Sunday they had announced that they were doing a small group for um, 
it was a recovery group for family members of addictive families. And, um, and I was scared to death to go, but I went. And I thought, I'm not going to know anybody here. I'm all alone. Da, da, da. Well, I show up and I knew every face. It was people that were great family friends of ours, people that I'd grown up with, people that I had actually talked to before. And um, at first I was embarrassed that I was there alone, but then once I saw all these people that I knew, you know, this family that I've, that I've always known, that I've grown up with, um, it kind of just made it all easy. And I hate to say that because what we went through wasn't easy, but here with Jesus and with you guys, it was, it was mm -hmm. easy. And I'm really, really thankful for that. I'm really thankful mm -hmm. for that. Absolutely. Because when I was in rehab, you know, Trey had told me there's people in rehab court ordered. Um, mama took away their credit card and made them go to rehab because they drank too much or people who really want change. And I was there for change. And so I kept a journal and every single meeting I, I got something out of. I was looking for that little nugget because I've got to make a difference in my life. That's where the one is too many and a thousand is not enough. I know that I can never have another sip of alcohol and I am totally fine with that. And I'm not going to. I stay vigilant. I'm not saying it's easy because like I said, alcohol is everywhere, but I, I don't go around it. It's not in my household. Uh, the more distance I can put between myself and alcohol, the better. Uh, and that's just for me. Um, and then we've talked about, you know, other fail safes. You know, me sharing my story is, uh, we always say, you know, speak it and it loses its power. Um, the shame will lose its power the more people I tell. Um, because that's when you find out who else is struggling with something uh, similar to you are. And it might not be alcohol. It might be something else. You know, in this world today, there are so many traps that the devil uses to snare you in uh, that it's easily easy to get drugged down um where was i going with that sorry <laughs> no we were talking about um sorry, Lee, there's so much like, on my mind i just can't think about well it. no here's here's what um, oh the fail there, safes yeah there's a there's a passage in first peter chapter five um that says humble yourselves therefore uh under the mighty hand of god so that he may exalt you at, at the proper time Casting all cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded, be alert, for your adversary the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. And so we talked about how that was not just a, that alcohol became a tool of destruction in, in your life, in your family's life. And um, now that you, you've experienced deliverance from that, um, when, when you've gone to Jesus and trusted him and, and, and relied on his strength in your weakness, he's been faithful, but, but that, that uh, command there still stands. It says to be, um, to humble yourselves, but, but be alert and be sober mind. And so that, that's what we had talked about before saying, what are some of those things? Like you don't just the no. struggle just doesn't go away. No, it doesn't. It, it's, a, it's a continual thing. And so how do you, what are some of the things that you put in place, either in yeah. people, relationships, th th practical things to try to help you be alert and watch out for that? Yes, I, I don't go to the same gas stations, the uh, four different gas stations that I went to. I don't, and I've actually seen some of the cashiers at the funeral home. They asked when I'm going to come visit them. I said, I'm not coming back, so don't expect me anytime. Um, don't go to there. Um, you know, when I came back, uh, after a month, um, and my wife so graciously agreed, I got to lead worship after three weeks there at their Friday night services, and it's the first time I'd led worship sober in like 
two or three years. Um, so that was a huge milestone. Um, but my wife came down after a month. I thought after a month that I'd had it kicked. I was like, ah, I can go home now, you know. Uh, I figured it out. I've been a month without it. But the last week I was there before my month was up, I, I really started struggling. You know, Trey was telling me to stay. Um, I was like, no, nah, I don't want to stay. Um, I got home, got to go home, work, uh, be with my wife. Katie came down to that Friday night service. She, she was going to bring me back home for the first time in a month. And uh, first thing she said when we got in the car is, you need to stay three months. And I was like, yeah, you're right, I do. And so I said, yes, ma'am. And uh, I was excited about that because the Lord had been working on that. But when I got home, we uh, ordered me some breathalyzers, um, some home breathalyzers. Katie had one, I had one, my mom had one, and Marcus Holloway had one. Um, and especially on Katie's behalf, you know, if she ever suspected, there are times I have, especially when I came back, was tired from work and might have looked a little different, and she'd ask me to breathalyze, and that's no problem. I told her, anytime you suspect it, you get me to breathalyze. Uh, that was a big, you know, that was a big change is having to, to justify where I've been because I hadn't had to do that before. Um, but it was smart. She kept, you know, kept tabs on me. This is another fail-safe for me is sharing my story. It holds me accountable. All you people know about it now. Uh, um, and uh, so if you see him at the gas station <laughs> just yeah. watch what I'm buying make sure it's ice cream <laughs> yeah ice cream <laughs> we do eat ice cream for real though um, um, but in the same with Marcus if we ever met up and I looked a little funny he would breathalyze me well and when I since I was traveling I get to get um, I would get to come home on the weekends to spend time with with Katie and I'd work on Monday um, but I would go back, and what I would do is when I got down there, because pretty much any long trip I'd ever been on, I drank on. And uh, uh, when I'd get back, I'd video me. Tim would have the breathalyzer. I'd video me blowing into it just to make sure. Um, like I said, we don't. it's not in our house. It won't be in our house. And I can't wait. That precious little girl, another one on the way. Can't wait to share my struggles with them, so hopefully they don't have to encounter the same things I've done. It is a... It was a hard road, but like I said, this is, this is all God. Like, when I look back, I'm just, the times were rough, but I'm so overwhelmed with the grace and mercy that he showed me, and he chose me to deliver from this. And it's just, it's unreal. It almost seems fake. Until you look back, and then it wasn't fake at all. But yeah, it's real. It it's is. so real. Man, thank you guys. Thank you all so much. We all tell them how grateful you are. I want us to um, conclude this morning with a time for us to respond because I think that stories like this are powerful. Amen. They're not necessarily sermons, but they kind of are. Because they're, they're stories, and I've, I've said multiple times through this series, when you open up your Bible to read it, that's what you find between the covers of your Bible. You find stories of real people who had real encounters with a real God. A God who was faithful, a God who was compassionate and loving. And the whole story of Scripture is, is the pursuit, is God's pursuit of his people. God's desire to dwell among his people and to be their God and um, all of the stories all of those stories are true and all of these stories are true um, 
And we, we were all in a story. And, um, and God's desire is to be a part of that story. But here's the, here's the thing. When you allow God to come into the story that you think is about you, you very quickly realize that nothing in the story was ever about you. (laughs) The whole story is about him. And it's always been about him. But how small our vision is before we come into a relationship with Jesus that we think that everything we see and everything that we encounter is all about us. And part of the freedom in a relationship with Jesus is understanding that you're no longer the main character of any story. But he's called you to play a supporting role in a story that's way bigger A story that's all about him, where he is the star. He is the center of the story. And I just pray that you are in his story. Not even so much that he's in your story, because that's not really how it works. But to know the invitation is that he calls us into what he is doing. And he invites us into it. And so this morning as you, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes as we um, go into this time. Garrett's going to share a song with us um, during, during the response time. And this is a song that he heard on the radio on the ride to Good Landing with Nancy. The song came on the radio and it was incredibly powerful and it talks about scars and um, you know the great thing about scars is as much as we may try to hide them they're they're stories of healing anywhere there's a scar that means there was a break there was a wound and there was damage that was that was healed. There was a break that was put back together. And so every scar is a beautiful story of of healing. And I don't know what kind of scars you may have this morning. Um, But I think Garrett and Katie's story, to sum it up, is that Jesus will heal every single one. Every single one, it doesn't matter how shameful you think it is, how secret it's been, that he can heal it and you can come to him. And so this altar is open. If you want to come and kneel just between you and the Lord and maybe lay something down at his feet for the very first time, something that you've tried over and over and over to kick and conquer on your own, a break that you tried to put back together and you can't, and you cry out to him for help, his word says that he listens and he hears the cries. And he brings healing and restoration. And maybe the thing that you need to heal more than anything is is your heart, your soul, because you don't have a relationship with him and you know it. 
But that's the invitation. He says, I want to heal. Not, not a broken habit or an addiction, but I want to heal your, your heart, your soul that's broken, separated from me. And I sent my son to bring you back, to make a way for you to come back to me so that you wouldn't have to be separated anymore. And that's what Jesus' life and death and resurrection is all about. Bringing us back into that relationship with God that was broken by our sin. So if you want to make that decision today, if you want to publicly say, I am following Jesus for the first time, then I want you to come and share that with me. Let me pray with you. Let us encourage you. If you just want to come bring a burden, maybe for you or someone else, to this altar and pray, and you can do that. If you want to become a member of this church, whatever, whatever the Holy Spirit is leading during this time, I don't want us to miss it or go without an opportunity to respond to it. And so, Jesus, as we, as we listen and, and, and meditate on the words of this song, um, may you just work in our minds and hearts as we listen. Lord, if you're calling us to action, if you're calling us to move in some way, I pray that we'll have the courage to just do it, that we'll see the hope uh, in Garrett's story. And say, I'm not going to worry about what people think and let the, let the shame that I anticipate cause me to not follow you, Jesus. I'm just going to do what you call me to do. So we pray that you will, you will allow that to happen in our lives this morning. And so we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.